Hello everyone and welcome back to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast today, I have a Bellator women's flyweight. My guest is originally from the southwest of England and through hard work, determination and a never-say-die attitude has become one of the best women's MMA flyweights the UK has ever produced. Training and talking from her gym, Flow Martial Arts in Plymouth, the United Kingdom, we talk about her origins and her career. Please enjoy my conversation with my friend and Bellator women's flyweight, Kate Jackson. Kate Jackson, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Are you? Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, what have you been up to today? Um, I trained at my strength and conditioning gym this morning and then I've been cooking, which really isn't very exciting. Cooking anything interesting? No, just loads of vegetables. Keeping the diet going then? Yeah, pretty much. I'm vegetarian, so I um, don't have much choice. What sort of uh, what sort of stuff do you eat as a vegetarian and a fighter as well to keep you going? Uh, I actually eat an awful lot of bread and cheese and milk, which is probably not um, a typical fighter diet. But then I just add in fruit and veg, so it um, hits protein requirements and all the other stuff. So um, yeah, it's not too bad. Do you have like a a set sort of like nutrition plan, or is it literally just doing it all by yourself? Uh, I calorie count, so I I kind of know broadly what I want to hit, like protein wise, um, and I more or less aim for like protein and fiber and decent amount of fruit and veg, and let the rest of it, um, you know, fall where it lands, really. So yeah. Do you have anyone that kind of gives you a nutrition plan? So did you work with anybody in that way, especially like on on um on lead up to fights or something like that or is it just kind of something you've learned as you've gone along I worked with someone in see probably 2014 was the last time but I really really don't like I don't like being told what to eat um I it's I just find that really difficult aspect of um of the sport and not necessary necessarily a necessary one either um so i i have a pretty good grasp of nutrition now um i've done a nutrition course um so i more or less handle it myself uh it's it can get a bit it gets a bit trickier sort of dieting for fights um, especially if it's short notice which um bar the last one um i haven't had for quite a long time so um yeah it's, it's not too bad apart from fight week and that's always bad yeah what because you're draining do you, do you have to lose do you have to lose much weight to to reach the flyweight weight or not um normally i sit about four or five kilos over um, it depends how recently I've competed, sort of jiu-jitsu or um, MMA. Uh, last one was harder because it was a uh, I had less notice for the fight and because I was heavier to start with. Um, and I blame lockdown, but I mean it kind of was. But th- I put on the weight deliberately before lockdown. Um, I was uh, lifting and um i was supposed to be taking it off a jiu-jitsu competition and then 
COVID happened and ruined all the jiu-jitsu comps. So, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite difficult because, I mean, from from my, my perspective, I don't really like watch what I eat but I know that my my physical output is more than what I put in so it kind of like it kind of equals it out and I suppose if you're if you're if you're training um constantly like you are being a professional fighter you know doing those bulk meal makings that you that you've done today for instance you know must be just like a constant thing and sometimes I, I can imagine it can get pretty monotonous as well I feel a little bit um, weird because being a being a gentleman, it's a, it's rude to ask a woman, isn't it, about like their weight and stuff like that. Mm, not really in this sport, but yeah, sometimes. Well, yeah. No, I think that's weird anyway. So let's go right back. So um, you are originally from Cornwall, aren't you? Uh, I've lived there on and off since I was ten. Okay. Um, so yeah, I suppose quite a long time now. So, um, when when you were growing up in in Cornwall, um, what were you like as a kid? Were you an active kid? Were you just sort of like an average sort of run in the mill kid? You know, I'm trying trying to get sort of like a comparison about like how you got to where you are now and what you were like when you were younger. Um, I think pre about ten, I vaguely remember um, being out in the garden a lot and on my bike a lot. Um, after I moved to Cornwall, it probably I was sort of secondary school age, so it probably switched to um, I swum a lot. Um, my dad still does a lot of swimming, so um, yeah, I used to do a fair bit of swimming, competed a little bit. Uh, apart from that, it was probably just um, school PE and, you know, just the normal walking backs and forwards to school and stuff like that from, I think from the train station was probably a couple of miles every day. But um, yeah, nothing out of the ordinary until I started doing, um, I did gymnastics as well. But um, yeah, not, nothing until I really started martial arts about 15. Okay. Did you uh, do your stereotypical question that's coming your way because you're from Cornwall? <laughs> did you get into surfing? No, <laughs> I used to bodyboard a bit, but um, I have eczema, and like the combination of the sort of the salt water and the sand has never done my skin much good, so not really. Yeah, my my niece suffers with that as well. You take her down to the beach and she's all happy, and then all of a sudden she goes into the sea or she gets sand on it. She's she's proper squealing, like you know, it's it can't, it's not that comfortable for her. I don't think. No, I have a few memories of that early on, but. So how did you get into martial arts then? What what was kind of the the opening factor for you? What was the X factor that got you into it? I can't quite remember what triggered it, but. I know one of my friends wanted me to um, start scuba diving with her and I said I'd do that if she went to karate with me and she thinked I'd fuse a karate and the scuba diving never happened and I guess everything I've done sort of snowballed from that point onwards. I can't imagine scuba diving around Cornwall coast anyway. You'll probably get a couple of days a week where it's going to be half decent to do that anyway. I've not, I'm pretty certain she did it somehow. Um, I think, I don't know. I've no idea how it would have worked, but um, yeah, I didn't do it. But 
hopefully she managed to keep going. So what flipped the switch for you to make you to want to go and do karate? Was it just something that, did you read a magazine or something? Or did you just go, do you know what, I'm going to give it a go? I guess I'd always, I don't know, so it mostly liked the idea of fighting and didn't really know anything about it. Sort of, you know, normal middle class upbringing. Um, but I think part of it was, it was getting to the point at that age where um, I lived like half an hour's train journey away from um, the, from Truro where I uh, went to school. And so wanting to go and see my friends and um, being alone more, not even like super late at night, but um, it, you know, the walking from the train station to school and from the train station to the town centre and friends' houses. Um, and I know my parents weren't entirely comfortable with me um, doing that on my own, which I still maintain was slightly sexist of them because I don't think my brother got anything like that, but they'd deny it. So, and my brother's younger, so I probably wouldn't remember. Uh, so I guess there was a slight element of that. And I don't know, I remember one, must have been about 10, um, at a, I think a holiday resort. Um, and I randomly had a fight with some boy. Um, and I just thought it was a load of fun. And I know my mum obviously lost it and said, what have you had a knife? And I was like, what, some like, kid at a like, normal holiday resort in Cornwall? I don't think so. Um, so uh, there's probably always something there to it. Yeah, I think, especially back in those days, I mean, what we're talking here, sort of like the early 90s? Uh, Mid-late 90s for me. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, everyone that gets into MMA, you know, the, the stereotypical story is we saw UFC 1 or we went to the video shop and it was there and we got into MMA because of Hoist Gracie and stuff like that. But where I grew up, I didn't even know about MMA until I met Stapes and Stapes was kind of like, I didn't really know that much about it then and that was like 2000, 2004. I didn't really like get into or have any sort of like knowledge about MMA, mixed martial arts or anything like that really until sort of like 2013. So I mean I did the stereotypical kid stuff where like I went to the YMCA and there's a bit of karate going on and a bit of roller disco and a bit of taekwondo. So I did a bit of that. Didn't like it because it was proper chuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then just decided that I wasn't going to do it. So um, it, it, it's definitely that, that early time period um, of uh, of trying to find find those little places. I mean, did you do any like taekwondo or anything? Or was it, did you just stay at karate? Uh, I did... A little bit of taekwondo my first year at uni um and that was i mean by that point i had a um i mean it's judo brown belt i had a okay. know, vaguely decent grasp of what did and didn't work um so the stuff a lot of the stuff i was doing at uni was just because it was a student union club and uh it, it was a bit of fun as opposed to me thinking it was um something that would necessarily work in a fight I mean I know obviously elements of taekwondo do but um, I did a bit of taekwondo maybe only six months of that actually I think it was one 
one of the summer holidays um, from uni and I knew it was almost completely a load of bullshit but um, it was kind of semi-entertaining just to see what people thought would work Um, so yeah I I started judo about a year after karate okay um, and um, got about as far as brown belt before I stopped to start DMA properly okay did you did you do much groundwork with um, with, with judo because uh, um, I've spoke to a few people before and there's always this this catch element of where some clubs just do like stand up and some clubs will do you know stand up and groundwork because it's one of those weird factors in judo isn't it where you kind of like you either do one or the other or you do both or you do just stand up that's it really uh, yeah, it was definitely a mixture of the two. Um, I don't don't remember in great detail, but um, it was definitely both. I was doing a little bit of submission grappling by that point as well. It was really early days of um, like any sort of grappling in Cornwall for sure, probably the southwest. Um, and I'd done a little bit with Pedro Beta at uni and thing that's probably it for grappling but it was enough in the early days that um I say it's vaguely competent I wasn't at all but for the level back then um it probably matched easily matched what judo was capable of outside of the sort of highly competitive um levels anyway did you feel after you were doing like your karate and judo and uh, uh, and you know dabbling in the other martial arts as well did you feel that you know, you were getting to a point. I know you talked about you got into MMA after doing after doing judo. You were already kind of thinking what be, be, what best would work in a fight anyway, or was it wasn't it until sort of like the latter ends where you kind of yeah, let's see what happens in MMA as well. I oh, I can't remember. It probably would have been maybe early 2000s um i came across a blog online um i still i think it was london based i still have absolutely no idea who it was for all i know it's one of the guys that's really really well known on the scene now but it was talking about um you know no holds barred fighting and um how the sort of the dead drilling you do in a lot of the traditional martial arts um doesn't help you be able to actually fight um and like the fact they were sparring with no rules and stuff i really hope it wasn't no rules completely um but that's that's the first time i was aware you could actually like put everything together um and that was probably like eight years off the ufc started so how i didn't manage to um pick that one up I don't know but it was um it's really like Rosie Sexton and Bodog fight um it was the first time I was properly watching MMA and that must have been I don't know like 2004 um and then Strike Force I think the women in Strike Force um which is pretty cool because Strike Force is kind of semi-merged into well actually it merged into the UFC but um Scott Coker was Strike Force and it's now Bellator. So um yeah, it's pretty cool how always time later it um <laughs> it's real. Yeah. I I think it's super inspirational as well. And you know, 
especially now where the Ronda Rousey kind of time where women's MMA came into the UFC has made that more prevalent for people. And I think it's opened people's eyes a lot more as well. I mean, talking from a surfing background, I find watching women surfing far more interesting. And now I watch, you know, UFC, Bellator and and all the other um, promotions that are out there. I find watching women fighting and surfing, I find it's more technical. You can see the the technical points in it because, um, and without sounding sexist, they're they're using the technique as opposed to like pure aggression and meathead like must smash to beat an opponent as as opposed to you know doing that to overwhelm somebody so i I find it a a lot better to watch um did you so it was what what year did you start doing mma then 2008 2008 yeah, it's when I first um, first started at uh, Concept Gym, uh, my Nuki gym, and I actually, um, I think I have mentioned it to Kenny, I did sort of a women's tryout thing at um, SVG Manchester okay. uh, with Carl Tanswell, um, and I say to Kenny, I just remember this point where I had mount on someone. And it was the first time ever I like, looked at Carl and I was like, am I actually supposed to hit her? <laughs> he goes, of course you're supposed to fucking hit her. And I was like, okay then, <laughs> like, here goes. Um, so, yeah, the early days were, it's not even really the early days, 2008, but um, yeah, it was, um, it, it was very, UK scene was very, very different to the way it is now. Um, so it's, it's been pretty cool to watch the changes happen. Yeah, it was bit. It was it was really really raw, wasn't it? I mean, you can even go onto YouTube and watch some of those uh, uh, earlier like productions and stuff, and you think, oh my god, it's literally like you know when you watch uh, you watch Snatch and they're doing like the the backroom like warehouse fights. It's pretty much that with a ring in the middle. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think my first fight was two thousand nine, and that was a decent sized show. Um, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be. Um, UK like MMA Federation formed or something. It was supposed to be UK regional. I've got here. Was it? I'm yeah. not sure what it was, but it was the first attempt at like unifying UK MMA. And um, I think there were about five shows happening at the same time. It was supposed to be part of that, and it fell all fell through. And it was I think the only show that still went ahead. And I fought a judo black belt um, who I'd met. Um, at the MMA tryouts um, in Manchester, uh, she contacted me asking like if I wanted a fight, and I was like, pretty much, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing, but um, I'll have a crack at it. And that was my first pro fight, um, first ever MMA fight, and um, it lasted 48 seconds because I hit her a lot, and. Um, she told me afterwards that she'd been having temper tantrums when the guys hit her in training. So um, I guess that carried over to the fight. How did uh, how did that how was that build up for you? Because was that was that your first fight or was that your first professional fight? It was my first fight completely. I'd done judo comps, um, but 
it was the first time I'd done anything like that. Didn't really know what I was doing. Um, the like adrenaline, the build up for that one was absolutely insane. Um, my coach said he thought I was gonna. <laughs> said he'd never seen anyone's eyes like that dilated with adrenaline. Said he thought I was gonna bottle it. Um, but I still remember like walking out. That's the moment that it all sort of fell into place. And um, yeah, it was. I mean, I still didn't know what I was doing because um, I had Mark Goddard refing that fight, and I TKO'd her off against the cage, and he he stopped it. And I kind of thought it was um, going to be like kickboxing, like you get standing counts and you'd start us again. I don't know how I got to that point, but I honestly didn't know the fight was over <laughs> until he like properly ended it and confirmed that it was over. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, someone going to their first pro fight now would, uh, well, that'd be horrifying. But um, yeah, it, back then it was definitely different. Did did you were you one of these people that as you were walking out you needed to psych yourself up to do it or was it just a case you know sitting in the back in it probably was a squash court or something like that or like some dingy little I don't know you see these films like Warrior where they're like training <laughs> in the kitchens and stuff out the back of a hotel yeah I think it was just a normal changing room in a big leisure centre um, I think but like it's definitely changed over the years like back then I didn't really need to hype myself up there was a lot of like uncertainty a lot of adrenaline involved I think now maybe I could probably do with a little bit more um oh, I don't know switching on a little bit more before I fight which is probably something I'm going to need to work on a bit um but it's like anything you do for a long time, like things change. You just need to like, work out how or if you're going to deal with that. Did you not feel afterwards, you know, did, did you have any sort of like hindsight on it where you were going, I'm, I'm, I'm a girl from Cornwall. <laughs> yeah, I went to school in Truro and I've completely sidetracked what the normal path of somebody from that walk of life would be and I'm now secured in the cage I've just beaten somebody up against the fence and and now I'm, I'm a pro fighter did that kind of sink in did, did you think of it that way or did you just kind of go how did it get to this point no because then it was just it was just kind of a pro rule set it didn't really mean anything um at, at that point I don't think uh, I know my parents, my parents didn't have a clue like what it was and what I was doing. I just know they were really, really relieved when I, um, you know, phoned them and told them that it was all okay. <laughs> like it all went well. Um, Did you get to a point where you go, when you, where you kind of went, do you know what? this is my career path. This is what, this is what I want to do. Did you, did you ever have that conversation with them? Um, way later I think that was 2013 after I'd fought um Joanna and um I think I, I had a conversation with my mom because I, t I told my mom like it was at one point where I was being hit on the floor and I told my mom that all I could think about at that point was shit like my mom's gonna be absolutely livid about the state <laughs> of my face um which is not something that has ever happened since um 
And she, I told her that, and that was the point. She's like, you know, if you're going to do this, then we'll be there. We'll support you. Like, you know, I don't, I don't ever want you to worry about what we're thinking or anything along those lines. Um, I, I, so I think it, and I don't blame them. It took them. They still don't like it. They don't like. They'll occasionally watch the sport. They watch my fights, but, and I think until I finish, they. They can't move past the fact that anything they see um, could be happening to me. Yeah, I think any parent, talking being a parent, seeing their seeing you know their daughter or their son in something like that, you know, must have been quite worrying. I mean, you know, again from my kind of perspective, when I when I first went away to um, Afghanistan, I I didn't even have. I, it's going to sound really selfish. I didn't have a thought in my head about what they w- would feel about me going away. And then and probably until you've even had that conversation with them, you probably didn't have that either, really. Or did you? No, I always knew. Okay. Uh, I always knew they didn't, didn't like it, um, were uncomfortable with it. Um, and... I know, oh, was it? it was my, I had my second pro fight in 2000, towards the end of 2010, and I fought again three weeks later, and it was semi-pro, which shows how weird the rule set was back then, um, and I didn't even tell them about that fight three weeks later, I figured they'd already had enough, like the one I just had, um, and I know my my sister, my best friend, and few, uh, her boyfriend at the time had watch that one as well and I know they found that difficult um and like my parents couldn't go um and my best friend's um boyfriend was absolutely horrified by the whole thing um like her current um boyfriend like he messages me about it he finds the whole thing really interesting um but I know at the time he was just (laughs) he was horrified and I'm not sure he's ever really got past that point because there's that there's definitely that stigma behind um, MMA it's tethering out now because it's more mainstream but you know the stigma was you're a cage fighter you're a prize fighter a little bit like that to be fair or do you think well I still hate the term cage fighter do you yeah um, and Even though you've got cage warriors. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a big UK show. Um, can't really do a huge amount about that. Um, mm. Can't really just say, like, <laughs> ch- change the name because, yeah, it's old school. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I don't like the term cage fighting. I hate when I have to resort to explaining the sport that way after I go through a sort of list of ways of explaining it and then finally, grudgingly a huge cage fighting followed by the fact but it's a professional regulated sport um yeah. it's just like boxing but in a <laughs> in a cage yeah i don't know <laughs> like no but you're a cage fighter it's not really a ca- i mean we've got a cage like just out <laughs> yeah. out there it's not a- well you have grappling matches in the cage what are you gonna say those grapplers are cage fighters too yeah well i don't know don't really see it as a well. I say cage is a weird term anyway. I guess it's definitely people's perspectives, isn't it? It's the way it's, especially if people don't understand it, uh, and that's a. I think that's a big thing with with MMA, is that if people don't understand it, then they're going to probably 
either frown upon it or just kind of dismiss it a little bit sometimes um, because it's not it's not kind of the norm is it like if you if you said to somebody um, I don't know, like Mike Tyson's fighting you know there's a boxing match coming on people would be like that yeah let's watch that but then if you put MMA on there's still kind of you know a percentage of um, of of people that really kind of still have that stigma with it too, I think. I think it's definitely changing because the UFC is like a massive, massive brand, and and so is Bellator as well now. And because you you've got them on like Sky Sports, and they're on they're on BT Sport, and you know you've got your Conor McGregor's and all these big name stuff that that are coming out. It is kind of exposing a little bit more, and people are a little bit more interested in it, I guess. I mean, I don't know how do, how do you see that. Um, I mean, it's finally, I think, being reported on in the Telegraph, uh, BBC Sport, uh, Bellator has been on Channel Five, like prime time. That's right. Yeah, it's um, had a couple of fights on there. Hasn't and it? I think the their first Paris show was uh, BBC One or Two. So um, that's that's a massive difference to where we were even at five years ago, really. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, do you know what? I actually forgot about that. Yeah, it, it's like almost kind of like putting, I don't know, Kabaddi on Channel 4 back in like the 90s. You know, you had this Indian-like tag sport that was on there and now you've got, you know, like, like you say, you've got MMA and stuff that is on primetime, you know, channels 1, 2, 3 and 4 that we used to watch when we were younger and stuff. And it, it is kind of crazy um, how it's come about that way. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, um, you 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 trying a, a um, concept in, um, in in Cornwall. When did that become like uh, an affiliated MMA gym? Because you know, like you're saying, in those, in those early days, there was only you know a few places like in in the main cities like Birmingham and London and Manchester that had that. How did that come about? Um. So, Mark Rowlett, who's the head coach there, I think had a kickboxing background, and he started jiu-jitsu with um, one of my nogi coaches, who's now a black belt. Um, I don't even know, it's probably 2006, 2007, and opened up Concept uh, with his business partner, um, in 2008 and it was, it was sort of a fair amount of kickboxing there it was uh, until the last few years I guess four years it was so it's predominantly like a kickboxing gym um, but we've always had MMA there and um, Kevin Darrington like Kenny's Black Belt is um, the grappling coach there uh, there's a few more of us that teach, like, you know, a bit as well. But, um, yeah, that and I think Mark Tucker and Liscard were um, the early MMA gyms in Cornwall. And I think still really the only MMA gyms in Cornwall. Let's um, talk a little bit about, like, your your career. So you your record at the moment is 11-5-1, is that correct? Yeah. And you've been in eight productions so far. <laughs> that I counted. Wikipedia and Google's an amazing thing. 
So well, when when so you you talked about your um, your first fight, which was the UK regional one, and your second one was the the Zone FC. Really? Oh, that one might have been. That was I think that was a big one. That was. Oh, I think that was my third pro fight, my fourth MMA fight. And it was in Sweden, is that right? I'm going to say yes, because I didn't write the locations <laughs> down. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty certain the zone was, um, I think at the time it was a fairly big Swedish show. Um, that was one I took on, oh, probably two or three weeks notice against someone that was ranked in the top 10 at the time. And probably one I shouldn't have taken, um, but I did because fights were really hard to come by. And I lost the decision in that one. Um, something terrible, but um, yeah, I couldn't. I, don't know, I couldn't quite pull the trigger on. Uh, just I don't know. It's a, a very long time ago, um, and. Yeah, the details kind of get lost, but um, it was, yeah, I have no complaints about the show, um, I can't remember where in Sweden it was, uh, but yeah, that was definitely one of the early ones. When did you, when did you realise, what, what, at what point did you, did you kind of go, this is, this is going to be me now, this is what, where I'm going to make, where I'm going to make my living and, you know. Was it when you started getting sponsors or, you know, when 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 did it click in your head? You go, yeah, this is me. I don't know about making a living um, because like pre-UFC and Bellator um, probably picking up um, the women's divisions, that was almost impossible. Well, that, um, was what, that was around about 2013, 14, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but I... Um, I think I started training a lot more after I'd uh, separated from my ex-husband in, I think, 2011, towards the end of 2011. Um, so I guess it was probably like early 2012. Um, I think I had two fights in the first half of the year, um, and uh, I trained like properly for those. and probably kept going from that point from like 2013 onwards I think it's quite interesting uh, and you know you've kind of opened another question up for me here is that you know what what did you do for for work as well as you know training them uh, training MMA and fighting so what did you do as a job uh I from about 2009 or 10 um I think until the Ultimate Fighter in 2016, um, I managed a restaurant in my hometown and that at least meant that I could, I could do my own, sh uh, you know, I set the shifts so I could, um, I could train around um, or work around my training. So it wasn't quite managing to train full time, but um, I could, you know, at least train, um, I can't remember what I was doing in the end. Um, I was doing stuff like, you know, working Saturday and Sunday evening when there were no classes on, um, and then some of the daytimes, and then having, like, one weekday daytime off so that I could do, like, three or four sessions during the day. Um, and I think I think at the time I was 
like working with one of my coaches in Newquay and then going to Christ I was I don't know how I did that um so I was driving to Newquay to work with a coach and then going on to Penzance to work with uh Kev Darrington and then there was at one point I was going from Penzance to Plymouth um to train with uh Kenny and you guys here and then going back again so that was like 200 miles in one day for training That's mental yeah I don't know how I did it I mean it's it's one of the reasons I've moved to Plymouth um full time because this year in particular where I'm doing almost all my training at flow um having I mean it's not that far it's only like what 70 mile round trip um but it was just getting home you know being at the gym at um 10 o'clock in the morning and then getting home at half 10 at night and then having to be back again 10 o'clock the next morning um and it was just it it was like too much like being able to eat properly and stuff and even have enough time at home to like barely enough time to sleep let alone cook was um yeah just not ideal that's a hardcore routine isn't it but doing all those miles i mean you do you do hear of um of, of people fighters um and people that are dedicated to something putting in those putting in those long drawn out um drives to try and go from one place to another to another and you know hats off hats off to you to doing that for being like super dedicated to it but you know <laughs> I, th- I think it would also be quite breaking as well yeah I'm not I'm not really sure how I did it for so long I mean it was because I lived halfway between both gyms and at the start I trained more at concept and over the years I've started training more at flow and it was just making that final decision to move to Plymouth and flow full time. Um, and I only go back to Cornwall sort of once a week um, to train with um, my Nogi team there. So that's, yeah, it was the other way around. Um, probably when I started training with Kenny, maybe 2013 or 14. Um, so, yeah, it's been a gradual change and possibly one I should have made earlier, but um, I've finally done it. So, yeah, it's interesting, I think, to see what happens working full-time with one team. Do you find it's a little bit of a relief knowing that, you know, you're in one location now as opposed to driving all over the place? Yeah, I think... I mean, I, I still have, like, and there's the affiliation as well. I still have, like, Pure Grappling, which is my Nogi team um, in Cornwall. Um, and, you know, we still have group chat. And I still talk to um, Kev. And he's still one of Kenny's black belts. So uh, the link's still there. Um, but it is, it, it's really good, finally, having, like, a, you know, a large team that I train at full-time and, you know, coach here as well. So, um yeah, that makes a big difference. So going back a little bit again, so we were talking about the Zone FC and then you had a couple of fights in a production called The Tear Up. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, it's a Bristol show. Yeah. Um, Jake O'Hagan, who is, I think, the owner or joint owner of Impact in... Is it Impact? Pretty certain it's Impact in Bristol. Um, and they had quite a few shows probably 2011 so like 2014 and they managed to I don't know how many opponents I had with them in the end I don't know if it was just the two shows back to back 
um, maybe. Um, and they tried after that, but there weren't very many women doing the sport in the UK at the time. So um, we kind of uh, ran out of potential opponents here. And I moved on to, I think, fighting in Finland three times. Which was called, I think, one of them was called, I, I couldn't even pronounce it when I wrote it down. It sounded like professional Liga was one of them. Uh, I don't know. It was um, two of them. They were the same shows. They were in different cities. Um, and then the other one was called Lap. Lap I can't even say it. Lepenratina. Lepenranta, I think. That's the one, yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah, so they were all, I think all three of them were the same organisation. Two were in um, Lepenranta and one was somewhere I don't even remember now. Um, Although I remember wandering around... um, the town square in flip-flops in probably April or May with snow on the ground, which, um, yeah, it's, it's quite cool that I've got to travel so much, really. So some, you've had some fights with some, you know, quite high-profile people. Um, the three I've got written down here, we'll talk about the first one because that was kind of the first one, was uh, Joanna Janjacek, you you had a fight with her, and that was the professional legal one. No idea what the show was called. That, that's what it was um, called. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'll but take your word for it. It's what the computer said. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely no idea, but I think it was quite a big show in Poland, um, okay. and probably not one I should have taken. Um, there are I. Fighting on other fighters' home shows, I think, is um, not. I wouldn't say never do it, but um, it, not the greatest I, of ideas. <laughs> no, not always. Um, like it's one thing I really, really appreciate about Bellator. Um, even if sometimes they maybe prefer a certain fighter, it's it's, it's a very professionally run show, um, and you know. Th- they're impartial um so you don't always get that on um on smaller shows or shows that are like run by a fighter's own team how did the girl from cornwall that trains in the southwest even get a fight asked asked to her to go to poland how did that even happen absolutely no idea um, maybe through they found me through Tapology or Sherdog. Um, don't really know. Because um, that to me is crazy. Like out of the whole of Europe and the UK, Amer- you know, the globe itself. Because round about that time, you know, the internet was still you know quite prevalent as well. It was kind of coming into it, it, its wheels were starting to roll. And there you go. There's Kate Jackson. She's from Cornwall. <laughs> The little leg of England. Yeah, we'll have her. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how they found me at all. Um, How did you find that fight anyway? Because she's a predominant striker, isn't she? And I can imagine that this you would have been quite into grappling and stuff as well. Yeah, so uh, like... I mean, earlier on I was known as a striker, okay. somewhat ironically, because you know, my, strike, my striking's fine, but um, it's not where I'm most comfortable um as my last fight showed uh but yeah at that point apparently they were they were worried about my striking um 
which uh, is probably uh, especially funny given the trajectory of both our careers. Um, but yeah, I've I can't remember. I can't remember. Say, can't remember what happened. Um, I mean, first round wasn't too bad, uh, but she, I think. I think she pretty clearly won the second, um, and I think I took a head kick that caused quite a big hematoma over one eye, and I know between the second and third, like, I couldn't see properly out of that eye, and I think the doctor was hesitant to stop it, because under that rule, it wasn't even the unified MMA rules, which I'm not even sure back then were that unified, um, but I vaguely remember the doctor wouldn't stop it between the second and third round or wouldn't my coach was asking the doctor like what do you think and he was just going I don't know um classic (laughs) (laughs) um because I think it would have gone to the judges scorecards and she I'm I'm sure you know she probably would have won that way anyway um I was in Poland so but um yeah uh my coach called it instead um, cause he didn't think that I was, um, in a fit state to go into the third, which I would not appreciate any of my coaches doing now, I don't think. Um, although I guess I trust them to make that decision, but if you're fighting on a show where you can't rely on the, the staff and the doctors and the commission, um, then you don't really have much choice. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine that's a difficult call. And like you say, this was like, what, pre-2013 that we were talk, talking about earlier, you know, when it just started coming into fruition, uh, women's MMA. And, and I can imagine everything would have been up in the air. And like you're saying, the doctor's like that one. Well, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of a, a, a weird transition, really, I think. Yeah, I mean, even now, like as a corner, that's a... Um, and I do coach in corner now, but that's a difficult position to be in. Um, and I'm glad now that even the, the vast majority of the smaller shows, you know, they they'll be competent competent enough to for the ref and the doctor to make that decision themselves. Yeah, yeah. I think that there was a there was a real controversial UFC fight a couple of months ago where the guy just wrapped his bangers in. Do you remember that one? I can't remember. I can't remember his name. He was a, It was after the first round, and he just decided, "No, I'm not fighting." Oh yeah, he wanted to stop, and his corners wanted him to keep going. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was. That's just. I don't think it was. It was even heard of then. Like, what would you? I mean, where are you going to go from there? You know, it's crazy. Um, so after the the two European uh, productions, you how did you end up on the Ultimate Fighter? So it was the Ultimate Fighter twenty three. Yes, um, I was thinking about dropping down to strawweight because uh, I thought I thought I could make it, and I thought it might open up more fight opportunities. Um, and when that was announced, I was having people sort of asking like, "Are you going to go for it? Are you interested?" Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to take this opportunity and going to go for it. Um, and probably wouldn't have done if, um, one of my friends, Kerry Hughes, um, she used to fight a bantamweight, she's retired now. Um, but 
she said, and we were just messaging a bit at the time, um, she said she'd go out with me. So we booked it together and we shared um, a hotel room in Treasure Island Casino. And um, yeah, we did the tryouts together. And I don't think I was outgoing enough for them at all, which has been a problem my whole career. Uh, But I think I kind of, I was, I was the very bottom of their list and I just scraped through onto the show. Um, Weight cut for that was absolutely horrendous because even then I, I mean, I make fly weight, but even then I like I know how to cut weight now. Um, I know how to carb deplete. I know how to water load. I know how to like you know exactly what my body needs in order to sweat the weight out if I have to, which I try not to do at fly weight. But back then it was complete trial and error. Um, so getting, I think I was 123 pounds the morning uh, of the day before the weigh in. Um, and that's not the end of the world now. I don't like doing it, um, but I know I can. But back then, getting that off, like I don't, don't know if I slept at all that night. Um, like the bath, like the bath wasn't the right. The bath is a really weird shape, so like stay, making myself stay in the bath was really, really hard. Um, I was trying to do it um, on in the gym. I was in the gym for hours um, with a sweatsuit on, trying to get that weight off. Um, I got them to take me to the sauna at like four o'clock in the morning um, and then went back to the gym um, and I don't know, it was on cross trainer maybe. um, And yeah, I made it 116 pounds completely naked. (laughs) And I've, yeah, I've never had such, actually, I've I've had one harder cut than that, but I knew what I was doing at that point, at least. Um, this was for the trials, yeah? No, not for the trials themselves. That was um, making weight to get into the house. Okay. Um, so you didn't have to make weight for the tryouts. They literally just wrote, you saw the scales, they wrote down whatever weight you happened to be at the time. It just cracked um, on. And yeah, I have to say they didn't really care. I suspect they didn't really care within reason um, because they're used to people doing like, you know, 20, 25 pound cuts, um, or starting off that weight anyway. Um, but yeah, the trials were really short. Um, we, so you'd fill out all this stupid, like, paperwork, like, loads and loads of it. Um, but all the stuff I absolutely hate, like, tell us something interesting about yourself. But it's like, but everyone, all of us do the sport. And I was like, well, that's <laughs> that's me screwed. That's the only interesting thing about me. They want something else. I was like, I don't have that. No. Um, I like going for walks on on the beach with my dog, <laughs> and I like picking shells up. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, it's really. I know some people do really like you know they're avid gamers or whatever. Not that I'd say that's particularly exciting. Um, or they do another sport, or they rock climb. But I don't. I still don't see how any of those things are you know anything particularly out of the ordinary. Um, but I think we did like two minutes of pad work and you waited around for ages while sitting on mats in like a conference room at um, one of the big Vegas hotels and then they called you off and you literally did two minutes of pad work with a stranger while they watched which is really hard because if you don't know someone else's like striking cues um, it's it's difficult Um, and then I think we had like a three minute grappling match they paired you off against one other person 
you know, three minute grappling match, but we weren't allowed to start standing because they didn't want us. Um, they didn't want the like wrestling off the edges of the mat, I don't think. Um, so starting on your knees. Starting on your knees against someone else, competitive, who can wrestle, who is not willing to pull guard. And you're evenly matched. Like I had, and I didn't even realise until I went out to Jackson Wink a couple of years ago, but I had um, Jodie Escobar, one of the Jackson Wink girls, um, and we just, we basically wrestled on our knees in the clinch for ages, and it was really, really crap. So I eventually pulled, I think I pulled Butterfly Guard, um, but I couldn't sweep her from there, and she couldn't pass my guard, and it was just the most boring match imaginable. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know why they chose either of us um, based on that. But. Doesn't really matter, you got in at the end, so... Yeah, just... So, uh, talk talk about that experience of about about being in that house and kind of like... Because it is a production, really, isn't yes. it? It isn't like, you know... Uh, and. And then we're like, MM, uh, you know, UFC 256 or something like that. It's not like, it's like, it's a TV show, isn't it, really? Yeah, which I didn't properly, I mean, I don't know how you would realise unless you've done anything like that. Didn't really hit home until I was actually there in the house. Um, it was like the whole run up to it. We were, um, like we had to hand our phones over to the production team um, when, once we'd made weight. As soon as you've made weight, you get to hand our phones over to the production team and then you're stuck in the hotel room with like no outside contact and then you had the sort of the build up to the fight um, and you were all in like minibuses and you couldn't go anywhere unescorted because they were suddenly responsible for you. So you basically had a babysitter go with you absolutely everywhere and for an adult that's used to doing things on their own losing your phone and then losing your independence um that was horrendous and um so I had the fight to get into the house and it was against Irene Cabello who I'd met once before at a um, training seminar in the UK she's Spanish um I think she'd come off a weight class and I'd gone down um she had I was kind of worried about her jiu-jitsu um, it looked like she had quite good jiu-jitsu, but um, I outgrappled her for, oh, you know, I like guillotining people. I basically spent the whole first round obsessively trying to guillotine her, and then, which probably wasn't the best idea, um, but I won that round, and second round, I was like, oh, screw this. So um, I just hit her a lot, and I think it ended towards the end of the second round with me on top, um... I tried, I tried doing like the double-handed like Hulk smash on her from Mount oh, really? just for fun, um, and and then went back to hitting her and I got hauled off her, um, like you know a few seconds after that and I was just like oh, shit was that not allowed did I do something wrong and I was just being pulled off because you know the ref had had enough and the fight was over but um, yeah I got into the house and I was like. All the British women got in, so like Helen Harper, Lanchana Green, who I'm still really good friends with, um, we got in. So that was that was really good, and I was excited about that. But I'd kind of planned on, like, Kerry Hughes had come out again, so she watched us, and um, I was sort of... We had our backup plan of um, we were going to spend a couple of weeks training out there, and um, everything was arranged. It was something like, shit, 
like, like this isn't gonna happen. I'm now like gonna be stuck in the tub house for five weeks. Um, so yeah, I was because I'd want to fight, so I was really excited to get in. But then the sort of the reality hits, and it's um, it's, it's a massive loss of control. Like you lose all your independence, and someone else is in charge of everything, including your training. Um, which obviously, I mean, you start to extend your coaches, like you're in charge of your training, but I'm kind of in charge of what I actually turn up to, and I know what's going to happen in advance for the most part. And suddenly, just having to turn up to the gym twice a day with um, Brazilian coaches, I'm really, really glad I was on Claudia's team, um, and her coaches were all really good, but you're still turning up and being coached in their second language and the boxing coach didn't speak any English at all and I need clear concise instructions like I can't follow striking like I still need we're doing striking combos I still need the the names of the strikes to go along with the combos and I was getting them in Portuguese and that was horrendous for me um so I I've I mean, I just found it all really difficult because I'm not not at all outgoing, um, and then having a microphone microphone hung on your neck permanently, that really really sucked. And uh, cameras following you everywhere as well. Yeah, well, every time you started talking about anything interesting, um, the camera crew would appear in the doorway, and my instinctive reaction to that, especially if I'm talking about something vaguely personal, is to stop. Because there are strange, there are strangers in the doorway. Not only that, strangers with cameras, um, which obviously doesn't go down very well on a TV show. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> defeats the purpose of it, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it, and it was really hard because I went in there. I made weight 116, and the next day, the next couple of days, I was 129 pounds, and I didn't know how to get that off. And you're in a position where you could be fighting at three days' notice. And I dieted really, really hard the whole time I was in there. Which just... Because you can order whatever food you want. Just made it that much worse that the whole time I was in there... And I'm used to dieting electronically as well. I keep track, you know, online. And you have no internet access. So I was having to, like, manually calorie count. Um... And we all have our own little diaries, so they film they film you writing in your diaries like you're doing something really exciting. And I'm literally just there writing out like a load of numbers, um, which um, was really strange. You're putting your diary inputs in code so they can't <laughs> read it. <laughs> um, yeah, and then even when you come out, they expect you to um, do a load of media work, which obviously isn't unreasonable, so to promote the show, but they sort of. I had to write a newspaper column every week and I had to remember back like three, four months to what I was doing week by week for the show um, and that was just really strange because you're describing something that's been and gone and kind of you've lost the finer details of it by that point. So you just make it up? Yeah, well, a little bit. I mean, you can kind of remember stuff. And um... I'd have made loads of stuff up. <laughs> I'd have tried to make it like as bizarre <laughs> and as weird as possible. But um, yeah, and it was strange because they expected you to watch. They sent you in advance, expect you to watch it. I was like, I didn't want to watch it. Like 
I, you know, I was like, well, that's in the past. Did not enjoy that. Do not want to watch it back. Um, and you have to pretend it's like really cool and really interesting. And um, I know it is kind of, but um, from a personal point of view, it probably isn't because most people don't like, unless you're really vain, don't <laughs> like looking or listening to themselves either. Um, so if if you're not used to that, and then you do like end up watching yourself, but it's just like, oh my god. Uh, yeah, it can be, I can imagine it'd be quite quite difficult. How many fights did you have um, on the Ultimate Fighter? Um, I had, so it was the first one to get in, and that was then 16 down to 8. And then I had the quarterfinal match against um, Ashley Yoda, who is still in the UFC. She just fought this weekend. Yep. Um, and... Uh, I can't remember she was at the time. I think she was really worried about fighting me because I was a seven and two, which I don't think was that big a deal. Because she'd had a load of amateur fights, so I think she was like four and one or four and two or something, five and one. I don't know. I can't remember what it was at the time, but I didn't think it was that big a difference. And she'd had all the ami fights that I'd never had. Um, but yeah, she was worried about my experience um, when I thought it was quite even, um, and. I I mean, it wasn't a particularly exciting fight. It went to a two-round decision. I won both rounds. Um, and it was mostly on out-grappling her. Um, I spent most of the first round stuck in an armbar. Um, and I was elbowing her from there. And it was really boring. Oh, and I got up-kicked when I had um, both knees on the ground, I think. Okay. Uh, which is not legal. So it was an illegal up-kick. Um, which is the only reason I got armbar in the first place. Because, um, you know, I got up kick like under my chin when I wasn't expecting that to happen and then I think I dropped into a guard into you know like arms in tight or probably weren't that tight if I got arm barred but um, <laughs> I, I went, temporarily went to like safety position in inverted commas um, and I think that's where she took the arm bar from so yeah but I won that round because I was on top and hitting her and same thing kind of happened in the second round, I guess. I was, um, she tried to, I took her down. I think she tried to convert me against the cage. Um, I enjoyed it because she, w I was in her corner and Robert Drysdale was, um, trying to talk her through, um, subbing me. <laughs> and I was just like, nope, not happening. That is not happening. <laughs> and I, I, I always found that like a really weird concept as well, <laughs> especially in grappling matches where you've got the coaches shouting to, the person that you're fighting about what they should do and like dude you're telling me <laughs> what they're gonna do like literally what is the point you know i mean it's obviously different in mma but well, it's kind of the same but it is, um, yeah. yeah i was just like he's you know quite a famous grappling coach and i was like still not gonna sub me um so yeah one or two round decision and then all of the women the four women that were left were my team um, which was horrible, and I was the last last fight um, of that round as well. So it was literally that straight on to matching you against one of your own team members, and I was actually really good friends with um, Lanchana, so I'm glad that I didn't get matched against her. But then I got matched against Tatiana, um, and I didn't want that fight. I, I didn't want to fight again. Whatever it was, like seven days later. Didn't want to make weight again. Um, I wanted to go home. I'd had enough. And um, 
Tatiana very, very much wanted it more than me. Um, because in that fight, I just, let's say, gave up exactly. But I'd kind of convinced myself it was fine by the time I'd gone out there. But I, fighting someone you've trained with is, is really weird. Like, I... Yeah, I ex I expected certain things that were not say illegal, but um, uh, you know they're quirks, don't you? Because you've trained with them quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even really care about the outcome of that fight at that point because the more exciting thing that was happening that day is that we were finally being allowed out of the tough house. Um, and so yeah, Tatiana won, which you know, fair play. She is very, very good, um, and she's injured at the moment. I think it has been for a year, so I'm, I'm looking forward to her um, getting back to fighting again because I think she's got the potential to be, um, yeah, UFC um, strawweight champion in that division. I can't remember. Did she won? She won. She won. She won in the end, yeah, didn't she? she? Won the whole yeah, thing. yeah I, knew, I knew she would. Um, she she subbed um, Amanda Cooper as well. I was going to say, that was a 50-50 shot there. I was like, did she win or not? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she is very good. She's still undefeated. Uh, she just hasn't fought for, I think, over a year now. Um, yeah, her, her grappling's pretty decent too, isn't it? It's quite it's quite nice to watch too. Yeah, she's, she's a very dominant wrestler. So she's got that, um, obviously got that background. And she's a brown belt now as well. So it's it's a very solid combination. So after the uh, after the tough house um, and you came back, you know what what was the next step for you? That was really hard because you couldn't you couldn't fight again until like I came back here at the start of March, and the um, the tough uh, finale was July, and I couldn't fight until then. Oh, that's right, because, yeah, it's like two or three months after you've come out, then it actually gets shown. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't yeah, it? So the, yeah, it was, it was a while, and so they don't tell you anything. Like, you could be fighting. Like, they they match quite a lot of people on the tough finale, but we were sort of like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Finally got us sort of, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't want Kate on the show back. Um, didn't take any of the UK fighters. I think they took... They took the two finalists. Um, I think I don't know whether. I think they took out. I don't know whether Ashley Yoda and um, who else? Uh, Chris still friends with her on Facebook. Um, completely forgotten her name. She's still fighting UFC as well. Um, why have I gone blank but they took two I think two of the American women who I think they had one Invicta fight and then I think they maybe then went into UFC at short notice um, so I think it's one of those like being in the UK screwed me over um, like if I'd been in America or whatever then it um, they might have taken me but um, yeah that didn't happen so I went to Thailand that summer in August for the rest of the year uh, train in Thailand, which is pretty cool. Um, I think my my, my I say my striking game improved. God knows what it was like before, but <laughs> uh, my striking game improved out there. Not from through doing Muay Thai because um, 
the way they do Muay Thai or as a Tiger Muay Thai mostly and it's quite commercial out there um, I think unless you want to fight that sport it's not so helpful for MMA but um, the K1 out there at the time um, was really good so that was helpful um, and the jiu-jitsu there was good so um, but I came home in the year and I was very ready to come home by that point because it's incredibly hot and humid um, and you have to worry about getting staff and stuff like that so it was good to come back and that was kind of just as flow um opened or yeah when was that start of 2017 so we were in um in the building we're in now mm-hmm. um by then so uh that was good and i had one more fight at straw weight that was the worst weight cut i've ever had um four mm-hmm. kilos that was the British Challenge MMA. <laughs> yeah, who are now, I think, Cage Warriors Southeast. Um, but I fought Bryony Tyrell, who um, is and was a friend, and the only time I've ever fought a friend, and I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, I did it, I finished my TKO, like, strikes on the floor, but I was not enjoying that, and the whole time I was just, like, looking at the ref, like, why aren't you stopping this? Please stop it, you know. And he did, eventually. Um, and then I got offered a fight on Bellator later that year in New York State. So that was, yeah, the start of the whole Bellator, um, my Bellator career. Did they, did they just pick you up? Was it okay? So you got a phone call and said, do you join the contract with Bellator and it's yours if you want it? Um, my, it was my coach, Mark Rowlett, um, was friends with um, one of the guys at my current management company and um, they said like Bellator are looking for a flyweight um, she, you know would Kate be interested in being put forwards um, and that's what happened and Bellator um, offered me a four fight contract um, which is actually pretty cool because uh, I didn't really know that at the time, but they oh, they offer quite a lot of one fight contracts as well, and then like go from there based on the outcome. Um, so, I guess they must have wanted me to bother to do that in the first place, um, which is pretty cool. And yeah, I've fought for them ever since. So you've had six fights in Bellator, haven't you? Three and three, which is not ideal, <laughs> but yeah. No, but it's kind of. I, I don't know. I, I, I am I am a um, what do you call it? Not supporter. Um, you know, I I am kind of like a follower, really. And when I'm when I'm watching stuff like that, I've watched I've watched your fights, especially since training here at Flow. And you know, you, you supporting that person because you know them, and you know you train with them and stuff as well. Um, and. Uh, it just puts a little bit of a, a different perspective on it a little bit too. So I I personally think that, you know, you're you're the type of person that will definitely learn from your mistakes. Um and, you know, especially your last two fights, I reckon you're gonna come back and, and nail it personally. How's your experience been with Bellator? You know, because you've been through, like I said, um, eight eight different productions, and you know you've been through sort of like the UFC process as well, even though it was a TV show. You know, how how has your experience been 
with Bellator compared to all the others? As far as I know, they're more laid back than the UFC, um, which I appreciate. Um, like there's, we can choose our own sponsors and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is, um, so they sort of you know get, tell me what they need from me um, in the run up to a show, um, and it's, a lot of it's medical stuff like you know the basic paperwork and everything, um, and I give that to them. I turn up, they give me a schedule. Um, as long as I follow that, then um, I'm pretty much free to go do what I like around that, which. Um, which normally is like it's one of the say the best parts. It's 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 a good part of the sport, like the ability to like travel different places and um, go and do um, sightseeing and stuff, um, as well as everything else you have to do in fight week. Uh, and even if it's just London, you know, um, it, it's nice to be able to do that. Um, I like fighting in London as well because it's. I mean, it's still is it four hours from us, but. Um, it's, it's it's close compared to a lot of places and um you know friends in the area and family and everything so um that's good the last one was covid's basically ruined everything <laughs> um I, I appreciate the opportunity i got last time but i having the fight at four weeks notice i know it's the same for both of us but just the pressure to make weight um and just the difficulty with um all the medical stuff the medical stuff for the last fight was absolutely horrendous to sort out so it's always slightly different depending on like which country you're fighting in which um commission it is um so last time uh, last time was like really stressful and like moving to plymouth like two weeks before um the fight um sorting that all out so yeah, all of that was um, was a lot more difficult than normal, I think. Out of out of like your entire career, what do you feel has been like the most prolific fight? You know that sticks out in your head. You know, what 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 what's the one that you know you remember the most about? I enjoyed uh, Lena. Oh, Vichinakova, and that was um, I think only June last year. Seems like a long time ago now. Um, that was uh, Wembley Arena in London. Um, fighting in Wembley Arena is pretty cool, and it was just like having a good, a good fight camp, a good run up to it, um, knowing exactly what my game plan was, exactly what her little tells were. Um, you know, just being able to uh, drill everything, go into that fight knowing that um, I had everything where it needed to be, um, and uh, the run up to it was good. Like being able to be in the gym. I think that fight was a Saturday night. I think I was in the gym on the Tuesday beforehand, like I did the last um, session with my coach in the gym the Tuesday beforehand with Steve, um, and then. Um, yeah, just going up to London, like it all went really well. Like the photo, photo shoot went really well. I actually, um, because it was London, there was no COVID stuff interfering. Um, I actually managed to get someone, it's not a guy problem, but got someone to do my hair and makeup so that I didn't have to like try and do that myself because I'm terrible at it. Um, 
and then yeah I got a first round finish um and you know I had friends and family and some teammates there that was um that was really cool and then I guess Hawaii um regardless of how that fight went um that whole experience is one I really appreciate yeah, that must have been really cool. I think your jiu-jitsu coach appreciated, <laughs> appreciated the, the trip out there, seeing as Kenny's just turned up. Um, what, what, one, of my, uh, one of the questions that I actually asked somebody at work, what should I ask you? And, and he said, um, you know, what do you find is the main difference when you're training with males and females? Because I've seen different MMA gyms you know, especially like the American gyms, you've got the guys and the girls trained together. And like you were saying earlier, you know, I think your first fight that you had where, she, where you said she didn't like being hit in the face by the guys. So my, my question is, is what, in your opinion, is the main difference? Do you enjoy training with both or, or how do you find the, the, um, the differences between the two are? What, what do you think they are? I think now it's easier, like initially the training of women kind of feel like you maybe have to hold back a bit, but the level's there now that you can go train with other pros and you can both, you don't need to worry about whether or not your training partner's holding back. I mean, obviously sometimes you too, depending on who you're training with, but um, I with guys there's always like, if you keep upping like what you give them is there is there the point where they push back and they push back and you break because they're bigger or stronger than you um so i i I like both really um i i'm you know fairly strong so like the smaller guys aren't such a massive issue but um at the same time, like women tend to, especially the lower weight classes, women tend to be, um, I guess, more flexible. Is there's a difference in the sort of the movement? Um, it's even more noticeable in jiu-jitsu comps, really. Like the lower end of my weight class in jiu-jitsu, um, the game tends to be uh, different. They tend to be very flexible. Um, I, at one point I had a problem at purple belt with a closed guard but now it seems to be the sort of the 50-50 game and the sort of the hyper flexibility of the guard retention um, which when I'm allowed to actually compete properly again um, will be uh, I mean that's a challenge I want to um, meet and um, beat as well um, hopefully the big comps will start happening again next year I was thinking about this because I, I thought if I was <laughs> if I was flipped rolled, so you know if I was female, um, what what would be what would be my what would be my sort of view on it? And I think if you're a competitive person, which you obviously are, a highly competitive person, I would kind of relish training with people that are bigger and stronger than me. And like you're saying, what. It's the same in jiu-jitsu, isn't it? You can say you're going to, you know, have a light roll or something, but as soon as someone, like, ups it a little bit, then you level it up, and then you keep going and going, then before you know it, you're going 100%. I, I, I could imagine if you're in that position and you've got guys that can go harder and harder and harder, it's only going to make you better because you're training with people that are bigger and stronger 
so when you come to actually do it at your at your catch weight or your your weight that you fight at it's probably going to make it easier you know the classic saying you know fight um train hard fight easy and all that sort of cliche stuff it do you think that's purpose uh, a purposeful statement or not um i think earlier on that was one of the arguments like i train like you know women saying they train with men so like another woman's not going to be a problem but they're all training the same way or were all training the same way so i don't think that necessarily works um it, it is different i like the mixture of the two um i'm i'm glad that i'm good enough now especially with jiu-jitsu that i can see they're smirking no. <laughs> um i can read what someone's about to do so if i think they're going to do something dangerous or something that hurts me i have the option of very grudgingly giving up position um to protect myself um and it was a lot harder before i had the ability to do that because they do something explosive and or they i do something explosive and they meet it with a lot of force um i don't see it coming and if you can't see it coming you can't protect yourself from it um and knowing i have that um helps a lot well that's definitely you know your experience and your time in training i mean what you've been training what nearly 15 years now just over that so you know is that, is that right? <laughs> can i do my maths right well, it depends that... which sport but yeah yeah been training for a while so you know you you kind of kind of would expect that a little bit you know having having that experience because it's all about people at the end of the day any martial art really is all about body movement isn't it and and being able to read what somebody's doing by certain by certain movements and and you know when you get to a high level like you are you know you kind of at the pinnacle of reading those movements um which i think is probably key to um key to being where you are now uh we've been going for about an hour and 20 now so i've got one last question for you all right and it is if you have advice for anyone men or women getting into martial arts or mma what would be your key advice for them find a good team find someone to train that you're comfortable and that you have a wide range of teammates with different styles that can push you and make sure that you have a good range of good coaches as well. Um, that's probably, I mean, you're molded by who coaches you and who your team is. Um, and if you, it's a lot easier if you start off training the right way, then you don't have to, it, it, minimizes what you have to then undo further on down the line which i am uh, <laughs> um, finding out unfortunately um so i think yeah the, there's there's so many more options nowadays um so yeah find a good team and just work your way up slowly from sort of you know through competitions or whatever it is you want to achieve perfect answer Kate Jackson, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you for coming on the podcast. No worries, thank you.